Welcome back to another episode of United We Pray Companion. The United We Pray podcast is to take racial struggles to the throne of grace. Here at United We Pray Companion, we are here to discuss the topics of race and the Bible that are brought up during the United We Pray podcast and to uh, yeah, talk about them scrutinize them, say what we like, say what we don't like. It's me and Jorge today, and we're going to be reviewing, we'll be reviewing episode three from season two, titled Colorblindness, What If I Don't See You as My Black Friend. I've got a, a summary of what they try to say in, in mind, Jorge, but first, do you want to give us a short summary of their main point? I'd say the main point is, um, especially Trillia, she's uh, communicating Trillia Nubo, that she thinks that mindset that maybe started or is a solution for people, you know, when they ask themselves, how can I be indiscriminate towards people? The whole concept of color blindness. So she's explaining how she thinks it's uh, counterproductive to go about things that way to try to be uh, colorblind on issues of, of race and interacting with people with different skin tones. Uh, she explains just how uh, she thinks it's counterproductive or, or has like negative effects, really. Yeah, to be to be a little more specific and jumping off of that, uh, she says she kind of comes from the perspective that it's uh, it's, a, it's a worldly concept and that she and Isaac don't believe that it's a it's a scriptural idea. She says that Christians who use it aren't to interpret Isaac doesn't think they're interpreting scripture right when they look at saying there's no Jew nor Greek anymore in Christ from the Galatians text. But to be more specific, they say that it's people who say that claim that they're just really, they're, what they really want to say is, I'm not a racist. And they repeat that at least three times throughout the episode. And further, not only are they trying to just say, I'm not a racist, but they use the term escapism, like they're trying to get out of of weeping with those who weep, and they're trying to exit the conversation of race because hey this doesn't apply to me Isaac calls it a trap door at one point saying hey bye you know don't I don't need to talk about this because I'm colorblind so they say it's an, an excuse to say uh hey I'm not a racist let's not talk about race Th- those are their main points that they uh yeah. repeat throughout the episode and you and I are here and we're not using it as an escape I- I'm assuming well I'll speak for myself first I'm with Martin Luther King saying we should judge people not on the color of the skin, but on the content of their character. character. And uh, I genuinely believe that that's what's important. And uh, yeah, and so I, I'm, I'm going to defend MLK, defend that idea. And that's actually another criticism that um, Isaac Adams raises is um, not just accusing people. He's not just accusing people of misinterpreting scripture and using scripture, but of doing that with Martin Luther King Jr.'s words. He does. So I see, I see what you're saying, but there's one thing they didn't really even consider as they launched this conversation, this uh, dialogue with each other. Let's hear it. The idea of colorblindness, what I, what I hear you say is colorblind at the moment of judging people, not colorblind at the moment of seeing people. Like, yeah, like we can, unless we are literally colorblind and also need help with the green light, green, yellow, yellow light, red light. Yeah. We can see that people have darker skin tones. We see people that have lighter skin tones. Yeah. But it's colorblind at the moment. Am I going to judge you on that? Am I going to discriminate you based on that? It's colorblind at that moment, not at the moment of seeing people. Like, yeah, we see people. Oh, I think it's incredibly helpful. Like, if I'm going to describe myself or if I'm going to find someone who I've never met before at a certain place, like, yeah, this is a, it's a Mexican dude with black hair and this tall, like, or look for this white guy with orange hair, incredibly helpful. But I think you bring up a great point. It's the moment of judgment that, uh, the, the word gets dangerous. I don't know if they quite made that conclusion. They did. Or distinction. No, I don't think they made that distinction. No, no, they didn't. They actually put up a, I, I would call it a straw man, but they, they said when people say, that they're colorblind, and then they, they gave the extreme of the argument. It's that they don't want to see any color or appreciate any any group at all. And truly, it brings up. Uh, she she says it's throughout the Bible. It's most clear. It's it's the clearest in Revelations. Every tongue, tribe, and nation. And then she adds to scripture in her article that's posted. She says color, tongue, uh, tribe, tongue, and nation. But she acknowledge she 
they argue yeah. that it's it's biblical to see people as uh, you know identify them by their ethnicity, and that's what like really what 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 the biblical alternative is to her. She's saying culture and music is saying be colorblind, but really to be a Christian. You need to see people's ethnic identity, and I'll, I'll quote her. Actually, she talks about the need to. She says this will probably be an issue in our culture, people trying to be colorblind, but you need to uh, you need to celebrate it, and you need to. Um, actually, she says. Oh, she says um, in the seventh minute, she says we are to celebrate, embrace, and be encouraged by those who are different than us. I, I think that like celebrating and embracing just. Different human features this could be uh, idolatrous, and, and just <laughs> I just like to point that out. But um, but yeah, they definitely emphasize the ability to like you need to see color, and it's important because it's who God made them to be. And we'll we'll bring into more of this more later throughout the discussion. And not to get too far ahead of ourselves, but just throughout this episode uh, later, you can see this in the prayer. Pray about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Isaac Adams, he thinks people wrongly let some of their identity trump other parts of their identity. He brings it up at the very end. Do you remember that? He does. It's uh, okay. it's his last comment before they pray. He says, um, you need to lay down your group identity uh, because some people, if, if you might have a certain identity that trumps all your other identities, and then like that is one extreme. And I, I am grateful for that extreme that he mentioned at the very, very end. And uh, we'll all have more content on that. But I think on both sides of the spectrum, I think you and me, as you truly would all agree, one side of the spectrum is I don't see color. I don't appreciate color. I, or I claim not to see color. And uh, that, that's one side, which isn't really like, I mean, it's a straw man. No one really, of course, we identify each other for, for practical reasons by color. And then the other side is uh, like color is my identity. It's the only thing that matters. And Isaac's article that he posted, I, I think I agree with some things he says. He says we need to be a little bit colorblind and a little bit color conscience. And so he says, uh, don't take the extreme, but based on us listening to this podcast and me going to his church for mm-hmm. know, over six years, I know on that spectrum, he's, he's definitely closer to the side that says your, ident- your color and ethnicity matter significantly right there than the other side of the spectrum where your color and identity don't matter as much as your your status in the kingdom of god but um yeah but well, yeah that's anyway. that's one area where i hope we could agree is that there actually is one identity that trumps the other identities and that's if you're uh if you're an adopted child of god i think it's the one that matters the most out of and, and the color you are is relatively meaningless compared to the state of, of your relationship with God and mm-hmm. whether you've repented from your sins. And I, I think color is, yeah, is, is meaningless relative to that. However, we have uh, going in now when we record this episode, like at least eight seasons of, you know, we pray emphasizing the need to, to focus on color and, and bring racial reckon, racial struggles to the throne of grace. So there's, uh, yeah, I, I think there's way too much emphasis on one's color than other gospel issues and other things in our world, which I would say the word realities, they use the word realities a lot too, but defining what's real and what's important. One thing about the title of this podcast and really the whole uh, trains of thought in this episode, look at the title again, colorblindness. What if I don't see you as my black friend? So it's like, how many times have I heard people getting ripped apart by mentioning that they have a black friend. So it's like, it's like, you're condemned if you do, you're condemned if you don't. Because think of how much criticism would come probably from some of the same people if they said, you're you're my black friend, you know? <laughs> like, And then I don't see you as my black friend. Like, I think both of those statements would be widely criticized. It's, uh, what if I don't see you as my black friend? Wait, you want me to see you as my black friend? <laughs> like... Yeah, I, I I imagine that could happen. It's just like it's like a lose lose situation. It sounds like yeah, and, uh, and that's why I don't know if it's completely relevant to say right now, but the way I conduct myself, I try to have a pretty good idea of history. Mm-hmm. I try to be generous with everyone and be sincere. I mean, I'm obviously a sinner, but I try to be sincere. And then you just let the chips fall where where they may. Just because you're not 
worried, like walking on eggshells all the time, mm -hmm. doesn't mean you're going to offend people. What do you think of yourself if you think you got to put these fetters on yourself and be walking on eggshells all the time or else you're going to go offending people? Like, I don't think I'm going to do that if I'm sincere. So I'm not always making calculations. How's this going to sound? Talking to this kind of person with this kind of skin, that person with that kind of skin. No, live, live. We're supposed to live and speak freely. If you have a real bad opinion of yourself and you're really scared, you're going to be hurting people. If you're not walking on eggshells, then I feel sorry for you. Live, live and live in love. Hey, I think the answer Isaac would give would give to you, and also I'm gonna pull from one of their resources that there, there's an insistence from him on seeing people like on seeing him as a as a black friend. This was not mentioned in their show notes, but he helped write a it's called the diversity course seminar at my church when um, okay and. And a part of it, it was him and another pastor. I don't know who exactly wrote this section, but I, I wrote to, I, I wrote him and the other pastor uh, 40,000 words on some issues that weren't biblical about this, uh, about these classes that they wrote. But um, he claimed in this one course that uh, there's this woman who is from, from Aetria. She was a child soldier in her youth. She suffered under communism. She hates Marxism. And in this Sunday school class, he says that, like, you need to see this woman as an African-American old woman. If you don't see her as these, as these characteristics, you are taking away from what God has made her to be. And uh, I asked this woman about what she thought of that. And she's, she's like, no way. I belong to Jesus. He, like, that is the only thing that defines me. And, and she was and she's an african woman not an african-american woman i mean i don't know resident and citizen now but she's been she in america a... yeah she's been a citizen for for, for decades okay okay then. but but she disagreed and she was being biblical there's uh we, we'll get into it but uh there was criticisms of galatians 3 and, and as i mentioned isaac doesn't think people are interpreting that um but while we're here i might go through what the bible does say in relation to to colorblindness if that's a, if you think that was a good time to do that, I'm going to go through a short collection. In that course seminar I critiqued that Isaac never read, I asked him if he read it, and he, uh -huh. he didn't. Um, and uh, I, I even asked him, if he, this is from the executive summary, which is only two pages, and he didn't read that either. That's, that's what he told me when I followed up with him. But uh, let me share with you different scriptures that relate to not looking at color. And these are sort of pretty much biblical arguments for colorblindness. And I, and I recognize that, I'll, I'll just stay right here, I think seeing color is, is useful. Many times it's unhelpful uh, how it's a group identity is used as a weapon to pit people against each other in our society. But yeah, God created us. He created us differently. I think that's cool. I think it's sometimes helpful. But when your other identities that don't relate to your Christian identity get in the way, I think it, be, it becomes an idolatry. In my opinion, it becomes a problem, and these verses that I'm going to share help support that, I believe. First, I'll just mention Genesis. God made Adam and Eve. So we're, we're all from Adam and Eve, pretty much. Uh, Genesis 6 talks about... Yeah, not even pretty much. We just are. <laughs> well, you, you know, you're, you're right. I was uh, I heard Isaac preach on Genesis 6, when it talks about the sons of God creating the Nephilim, who are giant men. And I, Isaac believes that they are really sons of Seth, like they were straight-up humans. I have to disagree with that interpretation. I think in order to have giants, you need to have non-humans uh, mate with humans. He thinks that you can come have giants from just regular human-to-human -human relations. But anyway, we're all from Adam. That's the first thing I'll share. Uh, secondly, I'll share First uh, Samuel 16, 17, when Samuel's asking God who should be Israel's first king. Verse 7 is First Samuel 16, 7 is, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees, not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. So man does look at the outward appearance, but I think we should be more like the Lord looking at the heart. I think that's a great verse supporting colorblindness. The second verse I'll go to uh, is, Matthew is in Matthew 12. In the prayer, Isaac mentioned that the Good Samaritan is a colored parable where Jesus saw color 
And uh, I think the Good Samaritan is a great parable showing how someone who's a, like not your friend, is ethnically different, can be the one who helps you, and that's who your neighbor is. Mm-hmm. Matthew 12, I'm reading verse 46 to 50, says, well, it talks about Jesus. While he was still speaking to the people, behold, his mother and his brothers stood outside, asking to speak to him. But he replied to the man who told him, Who is my mother? And who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand towards his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers, for whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. So what Jesus is saying is here, it's like, hey, what really matters? Who's my who's my spiritual brother? Who am I really close with? It's not those who look like me and we have the same parents' relatives. It's those who do the will of God. So I think this is another verse, words from Christ, talking about hmm. what matters is really behavior. It matters is what your heart, not what you look like. I'll go to Colossians chapter 3, 9 through 11 now. This is Paul writing to the people of Colossae. He says, Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, Barbarian, Scythian, slave-free, but Christ is all and in all. This is very similar to Galatians, which Trillia and Isaac kind of downplayed and said, oh, Christians using that. I don't, I don't think they mean totally ignore it. But Paul says the same thing to the people of Colossae. I'll, I'll reread uh, Galatians 3, 27 through 29. For as many who, for as many of you who are baptized into Christ have put on Christ, there, he, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. And another verse I have that just talks kind of about the difference between Jew and Gentile. 1 Corinthians 7.18 says, For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. So this, this kind of goes with how MLK was talking about the content of character that matters, not whether you're Jew or Gentile, whether you've been circumcised or not. Finally, I'll, I'll read First Peter 2.9. Peter says, and Peter's telling this to a, a bunch of different people who are in, in modern-day Turkey, in the, in the Spurgeon he calls them. He says, for all of them, you are a chosen race, a royal peace, priesthood, a holy nation, people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And uh, I, I would just emphasize him calling all these different people a chosen race. Like their identity is just a people for God who are holy. And if you're a Christian, that's what Peter, Paul, Jesus, the Lord's talking through Samuel. There's, there's throughout the Bible, it's this idea that your ethnicity ultimately doesn't matter. It's uh, it's whether you're yeah you're you're one of God's chosen. It's one reason why I'm gonna lean on the colorblindness side. I will not cater to this idea that people are truly colorblind and. If you're white or black, it makes no difference in your life. I think there's there's some differences that do matter. But what's most important and what really matters is, yeah, is your relationship with God. So I thought I'd share that here, or at least at some point in this episode. Any comments, Jorge? No, I just it's important to make distinctions. And I really think it is just that. I don't think we have to beat a dead horse here. It's uh, colorblind, not at the point of recognition, but colorblind at the point of Am I going to judge this person based on the color of their skin? We're just judging in general. Like, look at look at James. Like, don't show a partiality. If to like someone, other someone's rich or poor, don't show it. Just don't show partiality. So it's another biblical example of try to treat everyone the same. It's uh, that's that's okay. Point of judgment. I concur. You know, in the beginning of this episode, Isaac asks Trulia if he's seen Black Panther. Have you seen Black Panther? Yes, I saw it once. Isaac yeah. saw it twice. Truly didn't see it at the okay. time of the episode when they recorded. What'd you think of it? I thought it was all right. I mean, it's just kind of cool. You know, it's fantasy, but it's got some stuff like parallels to stuff going on in the in the world. And uh, yeah, I thought it was fine. Yeah, I don't I'm trying to remember as you asked me. You know, it's been a while. I probably saw that in 2018. I wasn't like I didn't like go see it right away. I saw it streaming later. Um, I may have seen it in theaters. Yeah, it was uh, entertaining, but just it might have been like too much fantasy. You know, I like stuff based more on reality, but there's some stuff there that kind of had parallels to. You know, the villain was this was this guy who was very angry. He he had the attitude of like well, Africans have been abused and African Americans are like they they 
they need revenge and and then the the good guy was you know the the hero was not angry he was way more level-headed didn't have hate for white people and uh, i kind of liked that contrast that was there but otherwise on the on the things that weren't real life i i agree with you completely and for me the worst thing was like that teenage girl had somehow mastered chemistry and electrical engineering computer hardware computer software oh his sister and and she mastered she mastered alien technology and was like an attractive (laughs) teenage girl who wasn't autistic and she had mastered all this stuff in her teens yeah that's I, i know there's so much propaganda of like trying to get women in tech and stuff but like not realistic at all that someone can master all this stuff and never do it without leaving the country without traveling the world to to go to these different universities to truly understand these crafts you could master all this stuff they have this secret technology yeah but do it as a teenager and still be cool like i mean it's (laughs) just the the ways you have to suspend your disbelief for me was it was too much it happens in other movies too I think one of the Fast and Furious is it was like some beautiful lady in her twenties, <laughs> you know, somehow hacked into every single system and created something called God's Eye. And I'm like, I I'm not good at coding stuff, but like, not realistic. Weird. Like it, it's you know too much make believe. But um, I thought it was interesting that twice in this episode Isaac almost revokes truly his woke card and uh, yeah, in jester he does. But what was kind of funny for me was that uh, in 2021, Austin wrote an article called Please Stop Calling People Woke. And uh, and his title's totally a misnomer. He says, even though the title is clickbaity, he says, stop calling people woke. He says, it's okay to use the word woke if you're not using it as a pejorative. But I think it's important just to not, not be hypocritical in your show. Calling your co-host woke, but then your other co-host says, stop calling people woke. I think yeah, it's just something small that just something I wanted to point out. But fun article, you can read it. As long as you use it positively and fairly, it's it's okay, according to Austin. Yeah, that's usually not how <laughs> I use woke. <laughs> I mean, positively. Yeah, but those are the rules Austin set up. Anyway, he, the reason Isaac says you haven't lost your woke card yet because she hasn't seen Black Panther is because she was eating watermelon. And, and then he explains that black people eat fried chicken and watermelon and play spades. And so that that's that like reinforces their identity as a black person. And I'm, I'm pretty sure that's that's what he meant. Otherwise, she would lose her woke card. Like she, she wouldn't be like, that's kind of what the joke was. Do you, did you catch this at the beginning? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I caught it. They were just yucking it up, I think, just just laughing about it. Oh, I, I think that, like, so far, he says, like, you don't, don't be colorblind. You need to see color. And when it comes to defining what color is, like defining what it is to be black, so far what, what I've, I've ever heard from him would be, would be these specifics. Like, to be black and to be woke, apparently. Maybe to be woke, maybe not to be woke. But to be black, you have to eat fried chicken and watermelon and play spades. And that's what it means to be black and if that's if that's a majority of what it means to be black i think that's pretty meaningless so i think i'm, I'm really asking if you're not supposed to be colorblind you're supposed to see color what does it mean when you see someone as a black person and it, it means this meaning it's, i would call this less meaningless stuff right here but what do you think it's almost like yeah as you asked that it's almost like we're supposed to see someone as a black person and then make certain assumptions about them it's like that's almost implicit in that in that ask and that request that people be seen as black if they're black what other assumptions are we supposed to make now that we think they're black are we supposed to think something about that are we supposed to see as they're black see them as black and then that that has no meaning just to have a complete open mind now about them as individuals but not before it's a head scratcher it's a head scratcher and that's why I don't I don't want to play that game personally for what it's worth personally I'm not going to walk on eggshells I know how I am. I know I don't have a clan robe in the closet <laughs> that I gotta hide. I'm just gonna talk, try to talk sincerely, and and I think that's really how you're gonna learn from people, and and they're gonna learn from you. Just treating them as as human. That's what's relevant to me. So. Yeah, I'm wondering if like, truly later on says we need to celebrate and embrace people different who are different from us, and I'm sure that doesn't mean like embrace the fried chicken and watermelon. 
I want to embrace that. I, I love. Mean, it. I love watermelon. I love fried like if I watermelon. if I eat fried chicken and watermelon and I play spades, which I've I've done all that. I'm not quick enough. I enjoy. Yes. Yeah, no, I, I enjoy I enjoy the watermelon and the spades a lot. Does that mean I'm, I'm black? You, you, we could mean that, but I I don't know. I'm trying to ask. You have a problem figuring out whether you're for me or Trump, and you ain't black. It don't have nothing to do with Trump. There was a thing like 10 years ago, maybe. It was like stuff white people like, and it was probably a trending hashtag, and it was defining white <laughs> people. And like, and in some way it was true, and uh, these are all stereotypes, and I think they're all fine and fun, really. Do you remember... I don't know if you've seen any of Gabriel Iglesias's yes. stand-up comedy acts. It's a fluffy, fluffy guy, right? Yeah. Remember the racist gift basket? I don't. Uh, please remind me. He's got this joke. Uh, he and, I think, a friend are on the road. He, like, accompanies him as uh-huh. he's on tour. And so they're staying at the same hotel. And he gets together these items, if I remember correctly, uh-huh. and has, like, room service take him a basket with these items. And this friend is black. And he, like, has stuff in the basket that he thinks uh, black people would <laughs> yeah. like you know and i think i think there was kool-aid and fried chicken in there i don't remember what else yeah. was in there but anyways he tells a story that his friend gets these items and then he like looks at them and he's just so happy to get these <laughs> items these are all things he likes in the gift basket and then i think there's a note at the end and then he can tell that it was his friend gabriel then he got upset about it <laughs> <laughs> i I might not be remembering that yeah. joke, which I guess he says happened in real life. Yeah. I don't know if I'm remembering that exactly as he told it, uh-huh. but that's about the gist of it. So anyways, it sounds like that hashtag you mentioned, stuff uh-huh. white people like, it's like their racist gift basket. Like if you're going to give them a racist gift basket, what would it have? Do you remember what some of those things were? Uh, here, I'll, I'll, I'll do something dangerous. Uh-huh. I'm just, I'll just look it up on the internet real quick. And... Uh... Entertain you and you know the maybe future dozens of listeners who uh, might hear it. Clapping after finishing the PSAT, <laughs> nodding, nodding approvingly to rap music. Yeah, the TED conference. Obligatory pumpkin patch picks. Picking their own fruit. I, I enjoy that. That's that. Huh. Conan O'Brien. That's unfortunate. Oh, I can't agree. Ray Ban Warfares. Yeah, I um, I, I found the blog. Camping. Giant chairs. Where the wild things are. Vespa scooters. Eh, okay, like... I got one. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to be a racist or anything, yeah. but I got one I think we can all See laugh it. about is white people... Stuff white people like. Giving credit to their photographers. On Facebook, if you see friends that <laughs> yeah. give credit to the photographer for, like, their Christmas pics or their, like, uh. wedding engagement pics or family pics, whatever. It's like they seem to credit the... This is not just white people, though, yeah. now that I think about it. But uh, sorry, hope I didn't hurt anyone's feelings with that. But I think it's pretty funny. No, it's not... I think just people who do that in general would be funny. But, okay, so based on my, my quick... <laughs> Internet search in this WordPress website. I I was not impressed. I'm I'm, I'm sure there's some quality things out there, but um while we're while we're here, I think uh well th- there's there's like data based stuff. Uh, you know Michael Emerson's book. You know get, had some data on like TV shows that white people liked and black people liked. And oh, I, we mentioned this in that episode. Like Monday Night Football was the only one they shared. So like there there are if if you want to divide up Americans or humanity. More, more fascinatingly, like you know, humanity, into ethnic groups and then look at purchasing behaviors or other behaviors. You, you can find differences. You can find differences and call them inequalities. Some of those might might be important. Some of those are probably not important at all, but you can do it. But I think I want to talk about stereotypes for a little bit, which I think are, I think they're fun, not super meaningful, they, they actually maybe they, maybe they can be meaningful, but what's most important is like I think seeing people as individuals and uh, and like what, what's your purpose for for the relationship? Like, do you want this person to be an employee doing a certain thing? If you're hiring for talent, find someone with a good work ethic and talent. And I don't, I don't know if there'll be a good correlation with someone of a certain ethnicity or not. But I think what's what's most important, and most effective, is judging based on the individual. Yeah, you can stereotype based on nationality or whatever. Here's a joke I have. That I heard once. All right. Heaven is where the cooks are French, the police are British, the mechanics are German, the lovers are Italian, and everything is organized by the Swiss. Hell <laughs> is where the cooks are British, the police are German, the mechanics are French, 
the lovers are Swiss and everything is organized by the Italians. Huh. What do you think? I see what they're saying. Yeah. Yeah. I see that. And like in, in reality, all developed countries have people who can cook, have law enforcement, have mechanics, have lovers and have administrators organizing things like they all have. it. Yeah, It's just it's just a commentary. Like, yeah, but it's like we're supposed to be able to observe things and observe people and make conclusions. But all the things you mentioned are from behaviors or culture sure, their culture of these yep. different traditions that stand out in different countries, yeah, I guess. different European countries. So they're all white. It's not a it's not knocking the Italians for having in many cases olive colored skin. It's not knocking the Swiss for many of them being blonde, you know, it's not. It's based on what they value, I guess. Yeah. Italians don't value organization as much. Okay. I haven't looked that much into yeah. it. Could be. I mean they can build Ferraris and stuff, you know. So like like they have the ability to organize, but like but but you know, there's there's I think there's some truth in the, in some uh some highlights. I'm thinking of a three star Michelin restaurant that's around DC and and the people who started that, they cooked everything in a French cookbook three times, and that's how they got their start. The cooks being French, that's great. British, British food, I'm not a fan. Fish and chips, not that impressive. When I was in Belize, that was a former British colony, and it was British food, and it was, I mean, it was cooked well, but I was like, yeah, <laughs> whatever. But anyway. And I, and I don't know what's going on with British dental work. <laughs> Dude, that is, that's a stereotype, man. That is something. I don't know, man. I just... That's fascinating, man. Like the, the truth is out the there. It's is. in the videos. It's in the images. Like yeah. what's going on over there? Like, and, uh, I don't know. Yeah. No, I mean, there, there's the truth. And I bet we could search the internet for a few minutes and, and someone might have a, a pretty good reason that sounds legit. There's probably documentaries on the subject. Well, there, there should be. But like humans are fascinating and we, how we how we group is, is fascinating and culture is fascinating and i'm with trulia that these these you know there's there's things to celebrate and things that are fun things to appreciate I, I think that there's a loss when we define people by the groups to which they belong instead of their individual talents abilities and skills but this the, but what, what we're talking about is is really a lot of a lot of fun things if, if there are groups with negative characteristics then I think if it's still fact-based, like you can still look at them. It may not be fun. It may be, it may be sad. It may be like, oh, what are the problems with this group, or why is it this way? We can do that with numbers, but I'm, I'm not going to judge an individual based on that. This is uh, probably where you get into racial profiling when it comes to law enforcement stuff. And actually, I'll bring up one of the supporting documents for this episode. There's uh, four different articles that were mentioned. Yeah, at, at the bottom of this episode. And Four Reasons You Shouldn't Be Colorblind by Trula Newbill was, yeah, I, I wasn't impressed. One of the reasons was, uh, she says, the gospel is for all nations. You can be colorblind and still think that the gospel is for all nations. Um, so I, I don't know if that was a really great point that she had. But the article that's titled, I Don't See You as a Black Friend by Garrett Kell, probably gives the best reasons for why you shouldn't be colorblind that are the most most real out of any of the materials I found for this podcast that were listed. Garrett Kell is he was formerly an intern pastor at my church and now he's a pastor somewhere in Virginia. He talks about how he grew up in like a white church, white school pretty much. And he met a, a black Christian rapper named Tripoli and then Tripoli? Yeah, his name's Trip Lee. He's not that great of a rapper. Oh Trip Lee. Um in my personal opinion his, his beats are too loopy. You're not you're not gonna nod approvingly? At, at his work not for triply for this other guy who i'll mention uh, later like I, I would nod approvingly because it is great beats and great lyrics <laughs> triply my, my parent doesn't have great beats but um anyway so they were talking once they talked about race garrett and trip as the discussion went deeper trent mentioned something about him being a black man i leaned in with all sincerity and said to him trip when i see you i don't see you as black i see you as my brother in christ i see you as a friend but i don't see you as a black friend uh, my intention was to communicate respect and to ensure him that I was colorblind because that was the height of love, right? Wrong. I'll continue reading. Trip looked at me and gently said, listen, man, we are brothers in Christ, and that means something. But if you and I are going to be able to be real friends that go deep, you need to know that I am a man, but I am a black man. I'll continue. After a moment of silent staring, I pushed back and said that I didn't understand. I explained that I never thought of myself as a white man and would, wouldn't want him to think of me as his white friend. Tripp said to me, I hear you, but you've got to know that being a black man affects everything I do. 
every time I walk into a store, every time a policeman looks at me, every time I step into our very white church. I feel it, I breathe it, I live it. I'm a black man, and this is who God made me. So I was at our church when Trip Lee was at our church. I don't know what he means by very white, but my church has like all colors and at least, when I've been there, it's had at least four continents represented. I feel safe to say teachers, there's a bunch of Asians. Like, I mean, I don't know what he means by very white. But anyway, him being black affects everything he does. I'll continue with this article when he talks to a much better rapper named Shai Lin, who is, so talks about a dialogue they had. Shai, during our dialogue, Shai humbly shared about a time when he was walking down the street and was stopped by police. He was questioned, cuffed, and put into the back of a police cruiser because he fit the description of someone they were looking for. He described to us the pit that formed in his stomach when a car with a white woman pulled up next to him to identify if he was the person they were looking for. He said, my life flashed before my eyes. In that moment, I knew that if she said, that's him, that my life was over. I was going to jail. My whole life hung on what that woman said. Hmm. Yeah, this is a real story that I think is probably the best argument I've heard. And what do you think of that story? Unfortunately, Shy is wrong. If some woman says that's the guy who committed this crime, his life is not over. And he says his life is over. And we have a justice system where you're innocent until proven guilty. And in most cases, well, like our justice system isn't perfect, but I think our tenets of American jurisprudence of being innocent until proven guilty, having a jury of your peers, it doesn't work occasionally. But him being fearful that his life's over because well, some woman says accuses him of doing something he didn't do, his life would not be over. I'm assuming justice would be done, and he might have some inconveniences, but ultimately, there's he'd be fine. Yeah, it is unfortunate. I guess he looked like someone for whom they were looking, and yeah, I'm I'm aware of like occasionally there are bad cops, but he got out of the situation thankfully. Yeah, she says oh, it's not the one. Because a woman just said, no, that's not not him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I think so much can be solved just if we just get creative and not, you know, assume the worst intentions and just stay there. I think we got to go beyond and try to think of some solutions. So, for example, like that instance, the police in the future, they could instead of having the woman drive up and just in one take, is this the guy? Is this not the guy? They could have shown her a picture of this gentleman, uh, Shin Lee. Uh, Shy Lin. Uh, Shy Lin. And they could have shown her four other pictures of guys that they know aren't the guy. They could collaborate with other cops in the area that are maybe in their files somewhere. They got four pictures of four other guys who kind of fit the description too. Yeah. I mean, police lineups gratefully are, are, you know, are a thing. I know there's a lot of psychology with the reliability of single witnesses, but thankfully, you know, based on our system that you like the jury has to prove to a certain threshold that that person is in fact guilty, you mm-hmm. know. But I can see how Shai Lin, he wouldn't even want it to get to that point. Oh, no way. And I, I truly, yeah, I can believe he, he felt that pit in his stomach. What if it just takes one person in one moment to have me undergo this uh-huh. unpleasant process, this very scary process. So they could have probably handled it differently. Uh, when, when, you know, Isaac uses the word like realities and, and so did some of the other guests on his podcast. And I would say there's definitely a, a narrative. I think you would agree. I think we would, everyone, yeah, reasonable people would agree that there's a narrative that exists that cops are corrupt and they're out to get black people. I think that's a narrative that exists. When it comes to who is a threat to someone's life if they're black, when we look at the data, it's uh, it's it's not the cops. You know, let's let's take murders in Chicago in 2016 was was over 400. None of those murders were white people killing black people. Uh, I don't know what the murders are this year. It's the, Chicago just hit 500 murders. But uh, if, if you're going to talk dangers to a black person's life, it's it's not the cops. And uh, especially I think if you're living a life of being responsible and, and not engaging in illegal illicit activities, I would venture to say you're not going to have much police interaction. I live in a community that's it's uh it's got a lot more gunshots than other places and uh some more police activity but um yeah i've lived in a place that's known for poverty and crime for uh seven years and my interactions i haven't had too many interactions with cops you know i've called 911 a few times to, to help people you know get assistance but what i'm saying is there's way more important things that can affect 
how your life is. That is your decisions you make and your choices. And those are way more important than what color you are. And uh, my, my favorite study I like to quote is... I learned it was called the success equation recently. But um, if you're worried about being impoverished, graduating high school, getting a job, and getting married before you have kids is a way to ensure you're 98% certain to never live in poverty. And that equation is true no matter what color you are. But my big concern is people are focused on this color of their skin and having victimhood narratives of how they're oppressed. You get away from people's agency and their ability to make progress in their life. And then their targets just get lowered instead of aiming high. Yeah, I don't know if I've said this on our companion episodes yet, but this is the way I explain it. Trying to make the case that you have it worse than anyone else, that's not a competition we can win, and it's not a competition we should desire to win. Speaking of, you know, intersectionalities, there's always going to be someone that has it worse than us. So, like, if you're putting your chips not on what you can control, but if you're putting your chips instead on trying to convince people that you have it worse than anyone else, not only are you not going to win because there's always someone who's worse off, your life runs a risk of being really miserable because you're going to start to believe it too. You're going to believe, I got no chance. I got no shot. I got no chance. How do you think your life is going to turn out? It's going to turn out sad, I think. It's the Grievance Olympics. Yeah, it's not a competition we can win. It's not a competition we should want to win. Let's, let's play a different game. I concur. Let's uh, move to a different point of discussion. Did you uh, recognize the music and what was what was said about the music? Did you hear my Isaac uh, sing the Michael Jackson? Um, I did, but I don't remember what it was. Like, give me a word or two from it. You can be my baby no matter if you're black or white. And he does a lot of yipping in that song. It's, uh, it's cool. I just, I just think I've heard it, but it's a good one. I looked it up. Like that song was released, uh, like 500 different places globally, and uh, he's dancing with hmm. these African tribal people, and he, he goes to India at some point, and it's like it's a very, you know, Michael Jackson was in the We Are the World. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah but anyway, yeah, yeah. cool song. Um, Trulia talks about this line that no, like don't be so shallow, don't be colorblind from a group called In Vogue. I will, uh, I will share with you the song right now. first thing you heard was okay. um were the lyrics uh prejudice wrote a song about it oh. you want to hear it as the lyrics i'm pulling up i'm pulling up the uh i've got the michael jackson lyrics here where's my other lyrics i'm gonna i'm gonna, I'm gonna pull up these lyrics it's, it's a it's a great song so what happened here there was the comment made by isaac and trulia and i'll, I'll read some of what what they said so at, in nine minutes 30 seconds trulia's talking about in Vogue, which is a music group, and she says, in our culture, it has been embedded, even in our music, not to see color. Oh, we don't need to see color. Let's just get along and kumbaya. And so she says, she says this is an important point. She says, uh, 
in the future we might see an article on like not being colorblind but she says like you you can celebrate you don't need to pretend that that we're not different and so there's this idea that this idea of being colorblind is not biblical which is a point they make they say it's just our worldly culture saying don't look at colorblindness and then Isaac gives the, a good story later of how a, an older Christian who's white says that uh, being colorblind is, is, was loving to black people based on certain places in America where there was, there was a lot of racism. And so colorblindness was a great step towards, was, was seen as a great step towards love. But today, Isaac's argument is it's, that it's colorblindness as, as he defines it is, is not love. You need to see this color and, and whatever is associated with it. But truly it says that like the music industry is pushing this unbiblical idea of colorblindness. And she criticizes the group called In Vogue that had wrote a song called Free Your Mind. The opening word is prejudice. Wrote a song about it. Like to hear it, hear it go. And then the chorus goes, why oh why must it be this way? Before you can read me, you gotta learn how to see me. I said, free your mind and the rest will follow. Be colorblind, don't be so shallow. Free your mind and the rest will follow. Be colorblind, don't be so shallow. And I'll read the first verse. They say, I wear tight clothing, high-heeled shoes. It doesn't mean that I'm a prostitute. No, no. I like rap music, wear hip-hop clothes. That doesn't mean that I'm selling dope. No, no. Oh, forgive me for having straight hair. No, it doesn't mean there's another blood in my hair. Yeah, yeah. I might date another color or race. It doesn't mean I don't like my strong black brothers. Let me go to the course. Oh, why, why must it be this way? Before you can read me, you got to learn how to see me. I said, free your mind and the rest will follow. Be colorblind and don't be so shallow. Free your mind and the rest will follow. Be colorblind and don't be so shallow. So the folks at In Vogue, those ladies are saying, society has entrapped your mind to saying things like, if you wear high-heeled shoes, you're a prostitute. Or if you like rap music and wear hip-hop clothes, society says you're selling dope. And if you have straight hair, you must not be completely black. That doesn't mean there's another blood in your hair. And they're like, free your mind, be colorblind. They're basically saying don't have these judgmental thoughts based on things you see about someone else. They're even about interracial dating, which Isaac and then Austin in later seasons would applaud since they, they bring it multiple times how they wouldn't be able to date or marry their wives if they were in certain parts of the country and during certain periods. But yeah, they say, I might date another race or color. Doesn't mean I don't like my strong black brothers. I think this is a, a fine message about not being prejudiced, but according to Trulia Newbell, it's a worldly idea telling people that their color doesn't matter and they really need to they really need to judge people based on their color i guess is what she would argue if she's saying this is some worldly idea that's sticking around unfortunately first of all that song sounds like half of it is uh like a black girl asking other black girls not to criticize her maybe that could be sounds like it could be the message i haven't seen the music video but yeah but what would be helpful if there's such a problem with colorblindness? Like, what can happen if someone's colorblind? Like, what undesirable effects comes from that, from people being colorblind? Which I insist is, is at the point of judgment, not the point of seeing. Like, I wonder what are those negative effects that uh, maybe Isaac Adams and Trillia Newbell hope to avoid? Or And I just don't remember much of that in the episode, <laughs> like pointing out the true negative effects of it. Well, I'll share with you their one fear <laughs> that, well, one, one argument they say is just like, you know, it's, it's, people, it's people trying to escape saying what they really mean is I'm not a racist uh, yeah, and I, yeah. I don't want and so I don't it's... need to deal with you and the pain you feel. OK, uh, that, that's one that's one reason. That is right. So it's like covering up racism. You're trying to get, not talk about it, not engage, and not care for other people because yeah. uh, because of that. Just how do you accuse someone <laughs> that that's their reason? Oh, I, I, I know. Trying not. It's like, what? You jump from this to that? Like it's quite a leap there. They they get pretty specific in the in the sin of it. It's uh, it's a very it's a very antagonistic way of looking at the. At the world and people's intentions. I, I would concur with that. To be specific. Cynical. Sorry. I don't know if antagonistic. Uh -huh. Cynical. Yeah, they, they excuse people who say that. At least some people who say that. And, and they, they occasionally qualify like, we're not trying to assume someone's motivations. But they say it has been used as like as a weapon. And arrogance and pride 
that includes arrogance and pride that needs to be repented of is what's said in 19 minutes and 15 seconds. Whoa, slow down, slow down. I'm going to not care for you, <laughs> you hurting black person, because I'm colorblind. I'm, I'm okay, said it. But um, but yeah, in 18 minutes, 14 seconds, talking about how you need to repent of it. It's the, Yeah, he says it's a it's a filler designed to escape the situation or shut it down, according to Isaac. But let me, let me share with you the, the great <laughs> other fear that they say, besides people using it, not engaging or not caring, not loving other people. And they legitimately just <laughs> want to care for someone based on their individual needs and uh, not have the color as a part of the equation. But their great fear is that in the 20th minute, they talk about assimilating to the majority culture. And Isaac puts it, he says, dress like us, talk like us, walk like us, or leave. So there's this fear that I'm not going to see your color and you need to become just like me or like us, what it, the majority culture is. And it, I wish you would specify this. I don't, I, I'm, I don't know. Well, I could guess he might mean the majority culture is white people. And it's saying, hey, black Christians, behave like us or leave. And he really doesn't like assimilation. He calls it as some type of creature that has teeth in his article that he posts. What? And, uh, and actually, if we're Christians, we should all be, it's called sanctification. Like, we all become more like Christ and we become redeemed. And so if the majority culture is, in a church is to become better disciples, then assimilation is what we need. It's not, it shouldn't be described as something with teeth, but he calls it the majority culture. He doesn't define it any farther than that. He says majority culture, minority culture. He, he might be defining it as just whiteness, uh, but uh, he doesn't get into specifics. Well, I'm guessing... But I don't know. Without saying that I for sure know what he what mm -hmm. he means, I'm guessing he means like people dressing in suits, speaking English with um, proper English, without like a lot of slang with pronunciation, just like the the white Europeans tend to, or which is an overgeneralization. Sure, but I'm guessing that's what he means. Yeah, the way people dress and the way people talk, as far as wearing suits and I, I don't know. Like at our my, my church, his his church, his former church, the suits are kind of rare. I don't know. Whoever's leading the service or preaching might be wearing. They're usually wearing a suit, but it's something like Western culture. I think we can categorize the United States up to this point as part of Western civilization, uh -huh. at least. You know, I believe it's in major decay, and I don't know if we've crossed the line and are no longer a Western nation, yeah. but I think it's safe to say, like, we have been, and anyone can get something out of that. Western civilization, the way I learned it, was basically, it's about freedom and thought and self-determination. People, the pagans in ancient times, they didn't even try to think that they had control over things. They didn't try to... Many that many didn't try to think they had control out of things and many of them didn't try to put a cause and effect on things to make sense of the world they might think like it's raining at a time that i don't need rain it's it's out of my hands it's it's what my my false god just decided pagans might have thought it's like western civilization doesn't throw its hands into the air it like what's in a person's control they try to forge their own destiny it's a certain attitude towards knowledge you know it's like not a refusal of knowledge and of cause and effect and that we do have some control of course some things are out of our control but that's what i think it is that's what i think it stemmed from and and obviously like perfected and maybe the actual substance of it is in uh, christianity but we can all get something out of that we can all get something out of western civilization i just feel sad for anyone that thinks they can't wear a suit or speak a certain way or be caught studying and being accused of speaking the white man's language and of being white and having their blackness questioned if they're black. Like, I just feel sorry for people like that. Take a moment from criticizing American culture and see if you can learn something from it. That's what I think. Two comments on that for you. I'm, uh, I have in front of me a book that is titled The Journeys of 10 African Americans into Reformed Christianity. And then I'm reading the chapter about a pastor named Lance Lewis. He's a, a pastor in Philadelphia. I'm going to read this paragraph. He says, Nathan McCall's book, What's Going On, contains essays on the subject of race in America. He titled one of the chapters, Faking the Funk, The Middle Class Black Folks of Prince George's County. Oh, that's in Maryland. Um, back to the reading. 
Right. The theme of this chapter was the w way in which the children of educated, middle-class African-Americans who had good jobs and lived in large, modern, suburban homes chose to consciously model the attitude and behavior of economically poor black young people who lived in the poor areas of America's large cities. I experienced this phenomenon when I moved my family from West Philadelphia to a townhome in the suburbs of Central Virginia. I discovered that young black people who lived in nice homes and went to good suburban schools purposely chose to embrace the mindset of anti-intellectualism, anti-integration, anti-achievement, and anti-authority that affects many poor African-American young people who live in the poor neighborhoods of our larger cities. By saying this, I do not mean that ethnicity did not play any part in the challenges faced by young African-Americans. However, in observing the suburban black folks in Virginia, it became clear to me that the social challenges facing African-Americans had less and less to do with racism and more with how we viewed ourselves and God and what approach we were going to use in facing our challenges in this country. So that's the perspective of Lance Lewis, African-American pastor, and pretty much saying what, what you said, like his, his anecdote was referring to the, the tragedy of kids who are in families that were successful or imitating poor behaviors. And you hear some of the most racist stuff out of people who espouse that they're fighting racism. There was a, I think it was a, in the Smithsonian. I have it right here, man. It's the, uh, you know what I'm talking about? The aspects and assumptions of whiteness and white culture yes. in the United States. Let me read to you what I just pulled up on the internet. You want to hear, or I can, I can, it's basically what you said. What you called Western civilization, they just called whiteness. And uh, so they say, like, the Protestant work ethic. Hard work is the key to success. Work before play. If you didn't meet your goals, you didn't work hard enough. Apparently that belongs to whiteness. And so I really hope that blackness doesn't mean don't work hard and just play before work. Like, I think that's the assumption that one would have to make if you're going to associate whiteness with working hard. <laughs> but I've, I've, I've got more. But it's if you just Google whiteness and black history. Yeah, I really, at least read two or three. At least read two or three more of those, please, because yeah. it is There's, absurd. The worst one is family structure is white culture in the United States. The nuclear family, father, mother, 2.3 children is the ideal social unit. Husband is the breadwinner and head of the household. Wife is homemaker and subordinate to the husband. And we have uh, the emphasis on the scientific method is what you were kind of mentioning. It says objective, rational, linear thinking, cause and effect relationships. And uh, they have rugged individualism is the first thing highlighted. The, the individual is the primary unit, self-reliance. But yeah, that, that's that's what the Black History Museum said was whiteness and white culture. And I, I disagree. That is, that's just general success. I'd call that Western civilization and behaviors that anyone can and use. anyone... Yeah. Anyone that wants to be on time to stuff, anyone that wants to work hard, anyone that wants to experience the joy of family, you don't have to be white. And like, I encourage everyone to not be gullible. And just because someone says they're not racist, don't let them pigeonhole you, box you in to acting a certain way. Like, don't let them take good things from you and don't just believe them because they say it's a white thing. And you'd be like renouncing your blackness or not being loyal to your people or it's man, it's tough. Yeah, we have enemies, man. We have enemies, but I hope we all open our eyes as to who these enemies are. People trying to keep keep us down. It's it's absurd. I remember seeing that and I like I think I'll probably never forget that. And the the part you mentioned about family structure, uh, you mentioned traditional roles there a bit, but this is where Black Lives Matter got into trouble. And they ended up pulling. They did. I know what you're talking about. When this stuff was first boiling to the surface in Black Lives Matter, which was not founded in 2020, but experienced a resurgence mm -hmm. in adherence in 2020. In the spring of 2020, um, I saw one of my friends. I don't know if she still has me as a friend on Facebook, <laughs> but a friend from college. I won't mention her, her name, of course, but you actually know this girl. Okay. Uh, woman. She's a woman now. I mean, she was a woman then, yep. but... That was uh, 10 years ago. I saw that she was putting out posts in support of Black Lives Matter. And I just told her through private messages, like, look at this. And I brought up their website and it was in their mission statement part of the site. It was about getting rid of the nuclear family because it's Western. It's gone now. They, yeah. they removed it. But I screenshotted it. So. Oh, yeah. Dig it up, man. If you still go to their website today, you'll see that a lot of the grants they give are for transgendered individuals and like 
black, homeless, transgender types. So like their commitment to the LGBT movement and against complementarianism and God's plan of a uh, man and a woman being together, like that, that's still there and where their donations are. But yeah, they, they took off their flag and stuff. I'm disappointed in myself. I put a link for her and yeah. I quoted. Yeah. And then, but I didn't screenshot it. I should have. I should have. Sure, then it's still on the internet. Uh, we disrupt the Western prescribed nuclear family structure requirement by supporting each other as extended families and quote unquote villages that collectively care for one another, especially our children, to the degree that mothers, parents, and children are comfortable. Yeah. <laughs> so. My point was, yeah, this is something that Black Lives Matter got in trouble for. Like you said, they took it down. They lost some support where otherwise they may have found some. Didn't work with this girl. She ended up getting more entrenched in that line of thinking. And she even had a like a vote for Biden profile pic <laughs> border. So I think for the time being, we lost her. But may God bless her. And But anyways, they did lose support, especially, I think, among black men, among black males. And some even had the the courage to manifest this displeasure on on TV. Some people that are media figures. Marcellus Wiley, I think his name is Marcellus Wiley. He was an ex-NFL player who's got a show on the Fox Sports family of channels. And he was explaining why he was against it in Black Lives Matter, Inc. Mm -hmm. And he was about this, this attack on the family. Humanity, we're going to get picked apart if we're divided and convinced that <laughs> that these that these other people are enemies instead of seeing the bigger game. Just divide and conquer. And yeah, you're not wrong. We got enemies, but uh, we're wrong. We don't agree on who those enemies are. And I hope we get wise to it. Like within, within those who call themselves Christians, saying something's your identity. And when that competes with other identities, you get conflict. I'm, uh, I'm going to quote Isaac Adams quoting someone else. Uh, after Charlottesville happened a few years ago, he was at my church on a Sunday night. Well, he was, he was, he was talking with another one of the elders. And he quoted a, a guy named Anthony Moore, who was also at my church and moved to Texas to be a pastor, then got in trouble with voyeurism and went somewhere else after that. But he quoted this guy, Anthony Moore, and so I'll, I'll quote Isaac's statement that really demonstrates when you have competing identities with your Christian identity, you have problems. So here's Isaac's quote of Anthony Moore. He says, I hate the militant Afrocentrism that promotes black identity above our identity in Christ, but I hate what's happening in America, and I feel the weight of it as a black man with three black boys. If I challenge one side to be more explicit in their promotion of forgiveness and gospel, I'm told I'm not black enough. If I say to the other side, grieve and mourn, I'm told I am pro-black and not acknowledging the facts. It is so discouraging. End quote. So here's where Isaac's repeating someone talking about his black identity is competing with his Christian identity and how discouraging it is. And to that, I would say your your identity that's not in Christ needs to not be an idol and needs to become less. And also when the one side, which I'm assuming is the Christian side, telling you that you're pro-black, I don't know what that means, uh, not acknowledging the facts, maybe it's true that you're not acknowledging the facts. Depending on what facts you're talking about, if you think that cops are a dangerous threat to African Americans, that's it's not supported by, by the data. But anyway, the reason you might be discouraged is when you have these other identities that I'll call idols taking, competing with Jesus for supremacy. So that's, uh, that's something that kind of shows you like on the scale of does your color really matter or does it not matter? I think Isaac's way too far on your color matters. And that's, that's just what he shared with his church a few years ago. That was in 2016. I just think we're not going to get anywhere as individuals or as a as families or as a country if we, a priori, if we, before we even start, if we decide we're not willing to swim against the current. We need to decide that it is worth swimming against the current sometimes or else we're not going to have honest conversations at all. I like that. I just feel like there's a lot of calculations going on. What can I say that won't be criticized? That's not the measure of reaching truth. Thinking first, what can I say that's not going to be criticized? No, that's not. It's not a sure way to reach the truth because the world is is sick. The world is sick. And I'm not talking about COVID-19 and variants. <laughs> the, the world is sick. We're not that in love with the truth. And, and I'm a sinner. I'm like, I'm not saying I'm a good guy. Not at this moment. And me first, yes, me, I need to become more of a lover of the truth. But I think that's how we're sick as a nation is we don't really love the truth so much. Yeah. And then 
getting the truth and getting wisdom, just sometimes it's painful. It's uh, Ecclesiastes. I may have mentioned this in the last episode because it was a recent sermon talking about goads, painful sticks, which help help us steer in our directions that, that hurt and they prick. But like, I guess we just want comfort. We want non-confrontationalism. We want to just amuse ourselves. Maybe we don't want to talk about hard stuff. And you and I here are talking about hard stuff and we'll defend the idea of colorblindness and, and the way that we define it. I, I would concur with you that you know, we've been a fallen world and we need Jesus and we need redemption and we need to seek the truth. And especially when there's all these implications on, yeah, on it. I'm anti-color emphasis. I'm anti-color emphasis. And brought up in the episode that we just mentioned before, Colin Hansen, a guest of Isaac Adams, he was saying that basically that skin tone is one of the things that the devil tries to use as a lever to, to distract and destroy, I think. So let's not give him that. Let's be anti-color emphasis. It's not the most important thing, not by a long shot, and really not relevant at the moment of discriminating are not discriminating of embracing or not embracing it's yeah i agree and i and let's be let's let's be united in christ who who is the head to whom if you're in the body of christ we're all growing into him and let's be for that unity as christians uh, primarily and then when there's racial strife and struggles we stay united in christ and we deal with whatever the whatever the issue is you know together yeah and not and to not be afraid of speaking to one another i completely agree going to continue to try to not walk on eggshells you'll keep producing with me united we pray companion (laughs) (laughs) Uh, well i mean for the time being keep them coming (laughs) but uh otherwise i I think we've covered a lot of ground i think we've had some 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 good points uh do do you have any other comments jorge that's about it i just asked myself it's just so weird. We always seem to end it at about the same time. Like I recognize that. Yeah, it's it's interesting. Yeah, no matter how long the original episode, but uh, but yeah, no, I think uh, I think we've covered this one sufficiently. I, I think we do we do make honest efforts to try to capture Trulia's and Isaac's perspective as accurately as possible. Give them grace, but but uh, but 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 be honest on on, on on what our concerns are. But yeah, I think uh, that we've covered this one decently enough, at least you know sufficiently for me. Sounds good. Great. Well, in that case, I will talk to you next time. All right, Nate. God bless you. Until next time. All right. You too. See you. Thank you. Bye.